Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans chapter 12. Today I want to talk to you about the essentials of worship. The essentials of worship. As I began to talk and express and go through these things, as I began to study, I went through many different passages talking or thinking about the essentials of worship. Wanting to better understand what God desires from us as far as worship goes. And as I began to look at several passages and began to look over some things, some other things began to come to my mind, things like this. The heart of worship, one of the greatest misconceptions. You ready for this? One of the greatest misconceptions that we deal with in worship is that music is worship. That's one of the greatest misconceptions. Now, I won't get into it quite right now because I want to talk about that a little bit later on. But I want you to understand that worship is so much more than music. That's the greatest misconception that we can have. One of the greatest killers to worship is twofold. One is it being man-centered. Man-centered. Let me explain something to you. We will go into churches sometimes and we might say something like this. Well, I didn't really enjoy worship. I didn't know it was about you. Well, I didn't really like the song we sang. I didn't know we were singing to you. You see, that's the thing. We have a real problem when we think that worship is about us when it's not. Worship cannot be man-centered. Not only can it not be man-centered, it also can't be pragmatic. You say, well, what do you mean? The idea is whatever works. Whatever works. Whatever we can get to, to get your feels on. Have you ever heard that? We want to get your feels on in worship. Can I explain to you? Feeling is a part of worship, but it can't be all of worship. It can't be all of worship. Now, you know what we could do? We could, we could make you feel more comfortable and we could turn the lights down when we sing. And we could throw up some smoke and some laser lights, right? And we could have the greatest rock band up here jamming out, singing as loud as they can so nobody can hear you. And then you feel comfortable in worship. But again, it's not about you. And the truth of the matter is, in those kind of atmospheres, are you ready for this? That ain't real worship. It's not real worship. Because most of the time they're worshiping the ones up there playing than they are the one they're singing about. And hopefully they're singing about him. The truth of the matter is, is these are some of the greatest killers. What are some of the greatest goals that we have as a church? Well, hopefully there are a lot of great goals that we have as a church. But first and foremost, we talked about this at our staff retreat. We want authentic and real worship. Authentic and real. We don't want fabricated. We don't want you to get your feels on. We want you to know who you are worshiping. We want it to be real and authentic. We want it to be alive. Alive. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Didn't you just say you don't? Alive doesn't mean certain styles. It doesn't mean certain beats. Alive means that it's alive within you. It's alive in the way you worship. It's also engaging. In other words, you just can't help yourself, but you got to get into worship. You've got to be a part of every part of it. It's engaging, but it also better be biblical and theological. It cannot go outside the parameters of this book. This is the foundation of worship. And anything trying to be above or beyond this is not real worship. These are things that as I began to study these passages, it really began to move me. And I thought, man, we sometimes have got it really wrong. And I want you to understand, probably many of us do. 
Probably many of us in here do. And I want to talk about those things today. So if you do have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And you may say, brother, hadn't you preached this passage already? I did. But I saw something new in it. And I wanted to reveal it to you because I'm going to be honest with you. And we're going to read it in the new King James. And many of you have King James. But I want you to understand they missed something in those translations. We're going to read it right here. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Can I tell you something? It's missing something. It's actually missing a Greek word in that translation. And the New American Standard actually tells us what it is. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You don't believe me, I'll bring my Greek Bible and let you see it. It's in there. I don't know why it's missed. But man, now let me tell you something. That's not adding to the Word of God. It's actually declaring what God has already spoken. So we want to understand what it's talking about. If this is our spiritual service of worship or our reasonable service of worship, we better grasp what God is trying to say to us about worship from this passage. So we're going to look at three essentials of worship that we can find in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. You ready for this? The first one, we're going to look at the mandate to worship. We're first going to look at the mandate to worship. And it's actually at the beginning and at the end of the passage. But it begins, I beseech, or as the New American Standard says, I urge. They mean the same thing. I am impelling you. I am telling you. I am commending you. I am commanding you that you got to do this in order to worship. It is a command. Worship should flow from who we are as Christians. Now, let's understand what is worship. I'm going to tell you, Webster gives the best definition of worship I've ever heard. Are you ready for this? Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Let me read that again. I want you to get this. Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. And we're going to look at three words out of that definition because I want you to understand the mandate to worship. First, it's about honor. You need to understand that when we worship, we're not creating worth for God. We're not exposing the worth of God. You need to understand we're not even understanding the worth of God, but we are honoring the worth of God. In other words, your worship of God doesn't make him any more worthy than he already is. He's worthy. He's worthy whether you recognize it or not. He's worthy whether you praise him or not. He's worthy whether you pray to him or not. We get this misconception because oftentimes we read in the Psalms, and please understand, David's not wrong. It's the way we take it. But he says, oh, magnify the Lord that is within me. And we look at our praise and our worship as magnifying God. So we look at it like a magnifying glass. Many of us treat worship like a magnifying glass. You know what you use a magnifying glass? It's to see something that's small and make it bigger. We use that for ants, right? You see them as small and they make it bigger. Can I explain something to you? You can't make God bigger than he already is. You can't make him greater than he already is. He's the greatest. He's the most high, the exalted one. He is over all things. And therefore, my worship, get this, doesn't add or take away from him. But I can tell you this, it adds to my life. 
Because the more I know of God and the more I honor God and the more I worship God and the more I get to know God, my life is so much better. So much better. It changes who I am when I worship the one true God. And here's the thing. A lot of people, I can tell you, I could come in here and I could preach these little sermonettes for the Christianettes. But I think God wants you to know him deeper. Because the deeper you know God, the deeper your worship will be. God wants you to know even the hard facts about him. He wants you to understand who he is. And I'm telling you, the more you know of God, the more you can't help but praise him. He is worthy worthy and he deserves the honor but he says worship him in honor with extravagant love love man we've lost sight of what that word means don't we but i want to use an illustration and i hope this makes sense and i hope this works for you but i'm going to tell you something i love movies i love movies in fact i love movies i go and watch them quite a bit if i don't watch them at home i go to the movie theater and i watch movies I can tell you the movies that I want to go see that are coming out. I can tell you when they're coming out. I can tell you which movies I'm most excited about. I can tell you that I've watched some movies 10 or 20 times. In fact, there was one summer I watched one movie every day when I was a teenager. Every single day. So I watched it over 60 times. I can quote movies. I can quote a lot of movies. I can quote a lot of dumb movies. But I can quote them. In fact, you could probably come to me and you could probably talk to me about a movie and give me a synopsis and I can maybe even guess which movie you're talking about. I can tell you a movie a lot of times by the characters that are within the movie. I love movies. I love Jesus. I can read this book a hundred times and it never gets old. In fact, I want to read it every day because it brings life to me because I love God. I want to worship him every day. I want to glorify his name and exalt him every day. I want to pray and seek his face every day. I want to sing glory and honor to his name every single day because I love him and it never gets boring. In fact, there's not a verse I've read that I look at and go, that's a dumb verse to quote. There's a lot of quotes in movies that are pretty dumb. But I can tell you this. Because I love God, I can quote his word too. Because I love God, I study his word. I want to know more of him. In fact, some people can come up and ask me a question and tell me about a story in the Bible. And I can usually tell you chapter and the book of where you can find that story. Why? Because I love God and I love his word. You see, when you love something, you know it. When you love someone, you know them. You know them intimately and it is never boring to be with them. It is never a dull moment to talk to them. And if you love God and you love Jesus, he will pour into your life and pour out of your life every single moment if you love him. If you love him. we got to worship him. It's to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. And I love this because a lot of people miss this. Extreme submission. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You can't worship God if you're not obedient to God. You can't worship him if you deny to follow what he's already told you. In fact, I told you that the mandate was at the beginning of the end. And here's what it says. This It says, I beseech, but at the end it says, which is your reasonable service of worship or your spiritual service of worship. That comes from the Greek word that says this. It's logikos, which means it's in the realm of the soul. You realize that worship comes from within. 
It comes from within. In other words, worship is bound up inside of me because the God of the universe dwells within me, loves me, cares for me, and ignites that passion, and it just pours out of me. He's given me the Holy Spirit who dwells within me. And I promise you, if you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit cannot be contained, but yet many Christians contains him. Worship is about understanding. It's our reasonable service. It is our spiritual service. It comes from this. I told you earlier, the biggest misconception that we have in worship is that music is worship. Music is not worship. It's not Can I tell you that I began my worship this morning at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, I got up and I started walking my dog. And you say, wait a minute. When I walk my dog, I start praying. And I started praying for every one of the houses in my neighborhood. I hope y'all been doing it. told you I'm going to check up. I prayed for every one of the houses. I prayed for the service this morning. I prayed for God to move in other churches this morning. I prayed for specific churches and pastors that I know, praying that God will use them this morning. I spent time worshiping God. In fact, it just continues to generate throughout my day. Then I get to get ready and come here and go to the men's prayer time. And we worshiped during the men's prayer time. And then we worshiped in Sunday school. And we worshiped when we started praying in here in the church. And we worshiped when we saw a baptism. And we're worshiping as we study in the Word of God. Because worship is not music. It should be your life. It should be everything that you are. It should come from within. In other words, you can't contain it. Let me tell you something. Too many of you are dead volcanoes. I'm serious. We keep it pent up. Let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit's in there, he's going to bust loose. He is. And we don't want to contain the Holy Spirit. We don't want to quench him. We want to love him, serve him, worship him. I love what John MacArthur said about this. He says, I bring my worship to the music. We don't, as soon as Nick starts playing, that doesn't mean, oh, and the reason why we have this misconception is because we call that praise and worship. And so the misconception is, is that as soon as the band strikes it up, We're worshiping. No, no, no. We've already been worshiping. We've already started that. We bring our worship to the music. And let me tell you something. If we got lives and hearts sold out to God, when we get up and we begin to worship corporately as a body of Christians, you better watch out. We'll blow the roof off this place and the community will know what's going on in here. We've got to have it every single day. Here's the truth. You should be worshiping while you're at work. You say, well, brother, that's easy for you. You work at a church. <laughs> Not the guys I work with. It ain't easy. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love every one of them, okay? But I'm telling you, worship comes from your life. It flows from you every single day. Can I tell you something? I was walking yesterday and praying. And I was walking through my neighborhood and praying in the afternoon. And I was praying for God to move and to show me some things because I still wasn't quite finished with putting this message together. And I was like, Lord, please, I I got all the pieces, but they're jumbled and I need you to put them together and make sense of all this. Or better yet, just trash it and give me something else. I don't care. It's got to be you. I need you. I want you. And I just began to worship him. And I put on my phone. I have Air One that plays on my phone a lot of times. And I just started singing. I love that song that's come out there. It says, I'll wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. I said, I got you, Lord. I hear you loud and clear. 
I'm going to wait on you and you bring it. I want to worship him. I started walking through my neighborhood, my hands held up. I got the dog leash in my right hand and so the dog's, you know, and I'm just worshiping as I'm walking through the neighborhood. I can worship wherever I go because it's God that is bubbling up inside of me and I can't contain the joy that he brings me. That's the mandate of worship. But I'm telling you, I don't want to be like what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. He said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I don't want to just give God lip service. Because he already knows the truth whether my worship is real or not. Can I tell you something? If you didn't worship God Monday through Saturday this week, what you gave him this morning was just a paltry sum. It's like many people do when offering plates pass. They tip God instead of tithe to God. God doesn't need your tips. God needs all of you. It is a life sold out, poured out, given to him all that we can. I love what John Bunyan said. John Bunyan said this, better to have a heart without the words than words without the heart. Can I tell you something today? We have too many Cains and not enough Abels in the church. Too many Cains and not enough Abels. You say, well, what do you mean? They both gave a sacrifice to God in Genesis 4. But yes, they did. They both gave a sacrifice. But you realize that Cain's was not a worthy sacrifice. Some people say, well, it's because he gave her the fruit. No, it wasn't because he gave her the fruit. God accepts fruit sacrifices in the Old Testament. You want to know why he didn't accept Cain's? Because Cain just brought him of the fruit of the land. He didn't bring him the first fruits. He didn't bring him the best. There are many people today that don't give God their best. They give God the leftovers. They package it up in a doggy bag and say, here you go, God, this is what you get. There are too many Cain's in the church and not enough Abel's. Abel gave her the first of his flock, the best of his flock. God, you are worthy of the best I can bring to you. And when I come to church, I want to give him the best because I've been giving him the best all week long. We need more Abel's. We need more people with heart, not just head. That's the mandate to worship. Let's look number two at the motivation to worship. I'm just getting started. Man, I love this. You ready? You better hold on. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Man, if that ain't enough motivation to worship God, I don't know what is. You, You realize when he's talking about the mercies of God, that's what God does for you every single day. His mercies are new every morning. If you got up this morning, that was by the mercy of God. If you're breathing this morning, that was by the mercy of God. If you're here this morning, that's by the mercy of God. It is through the mercies of God that we worship him. Let me tell you something. Romans chapter 12 verse 1, chapters 1 through 11 leads right up to it. He'd been talking about the mercies for 11 chapters, and that's what gets him excited. If you don't get excited, here's what he's been talking about throughout Romans chapters 1 through 11. We receive the grace of God, we have peace with God, and we have the love of God within us. You understand, he's our propitiation, our payment, he is our redeemer, and he gave his life for us. We are no longer slaves to sin, we're no longer condemned, we are free and forgiven. 
Our sins are passed over, covered, paid in full. We're justified and declared righteous. We now have hope and peace and grace and mercy and love. We receive eternal joy and saving faith. We're now dead to sin and alive to God. We've been reconciled, redeemed, sanctified, and will one day be glorified. He intercedes for us and he's making us into his image. Nothing can separate us from him and one day we'll be resurrected. We're no longer alone. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are sons and daughters of God and joint heirs with Christ. We have a new name, a new home, a new king, and we are saved. Let me tell you something. That's what Paul's been preaching for 11 chapters. And he says, by the mercies of God, I'll worship you. Have you looked at yourself and you looked at what God has brought you through and you look at what God accepted of you And he says, that's my child. That and that alone is enough to want to worship him. That he calls us a child of the king. That we have access to our father. Psalm 116 and verse 12. asks a good question. He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? It's a good question to answer. I want you to see Paul's worship. In Romans eleven thirty three and through 36, listen to this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him it shall, that it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you something? When he wrote that, no band struck up a chord. That was worship. Everything that brought him to that moment caused him to express worship in his words. You may say, well, brother, I can't sing. You can still worship. God's done. We have enough singers. He wants worshipers. That's not the only time Paul worships. Several other times in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. These are called the doxologies. He gives a doxology in all his books. He says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, he gives another doxology. In verses 19 and 20, he says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All my favorites found in 1 Timothy 1. Verse 12, listen to this. This is worship. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer persecutor and an insolent man and I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief however don't you love it when he gives words like that 
However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern of those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Oh, wait, listen to the worship. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Man, I'm going to tell you what, this dude could write worship. He didn't sing it. He wrote it. He prayed it. He preached it. And let me tell you something. I want you to grasp it. The motivation for our worship is what God has done in your life. And let me tell you something. If you don't know what God has done in your life and you are dead in that life, then you don't know my Jesus. You don't know him. Let me tell you something. One of the, in the Revelation, he writes to a church called Sardis. It's known as the dead church. Now, immediately when people hear that, they go, oh, that means they had dead worship. No, they were dead. They were dead inside. Because to be dead is to be dead on the inside. They had church with plenty of singers, but they didn't have church with worshipers. They had a church that could have music, and they had a church that could pray, and they had a church that might even open up the Bible, but they didn't have true and genuine people sold out to Jesus. And because of that, they were Dead. We've got plenty to motivate us. I better move on. Number three, the manner of worship. He says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I need you to understand something. You, God no longer requires dead sacrifices. You understand it, right? The last one, the last sacrifice that had to die was Jesus. He was the last dead sacrifice and the first of the living sacrifices. And now God requires living sacrifices. In other words, he requires you to give your life to him. It's no longer our lives to live, but it's his life to live through us. I understood Galatians 2.20 in a much better light when I began to see this. Galatians 2.20 says what? For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm dead. John died at 18. And Jesus took over. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. My manner of worship is it's no longer me. It's no longer about me. I'm not living for me any longer. My life is no longer mine. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, you got to deny yourself first. Deny yourself. Because until you deny yourself as being your own God, you won't worship the one true God. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and come follow me. It means he owns you. I don't like that term, own. I'm not a slave. I am. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to the king. And let me tell you something. It's better to be a slave to this king than anybody else. Because he gives me freedom. He gives me love. He gives me grace. He gives me everything I need in life and above and beyond that. He's my God, and I want to worship him, and I want to give him all of me. Let me tell you something here. I want to break it down for you. I want to explain what worship is. You ready? How do I worship? Number one, I lay my life down on the altar. When Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, what did he do? He built an altar, and he laid his son down on it, and he was ready to sacrifice him. If you're going to be the worshiper God desires for you to be, you got to lay down your life on the altar. Sometimes you'll see people sprawled out here at the altar. It doesn't necessarily have to be this altar. 
What you're basically saying is, God, I'm dying to myself and I'm giving my all to you. My life is no longer mine to live so that with every breath. Don't you love Psalm 150? That's a great praise anthem. But I love verse 6. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. I want you to think about something a little bit deeper than that. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Here's how I want you to think about it. With every breath, I will praise the Lord. That's a living sacrifice. I lay down my life on altar. Number two, give God every day and every moment. You say, brother, you don't know where I work. That may be why you need to worship more at work. You say, well, I can't just go around singing. I hope you've been listening. It ain't just singing. You can give God honor and glory through the words that you speak. You can give God honor and glory by telling them about who Jesus Christ is. You can give them honor and show honor and glory by the, re, the way you work, by working for the true king and not the boss of your job. You do your work for his glory and not your boss's glory. Man, when you're living like that, you can live every moment for Jesus. And guess what? Even when you're at work, it'll just pour out of you. Let your worship just take over. I'm going to tell you, man, when I was walking the other day and I just lifted my hands, I just started praying. I said, God, please, please let it happen in our church. Please let the worshipers arise. Please bring revival and change every heart, every life to where every moment we're living is for you. And don't let us get in the way. God, get us out of the way so that you can do what you want to do. Can I tell you, God gave me an answer as clear as day when I was walking. And you know what he said? And I'm scared. He said, it's coming. He said, it's coming. And I was like, okay, then don't let me get in the way. I pray you'll do the same. Don't get in the way. It's coming. Let your worship Take over you.